The holidays are just around the corner, and it's time to be thinking about getting those perfect gifts for family, friends, or maybe even for yourself. We have the perfect opportunity for you to take care of that shopping list and support ACB Media at the same time. It's the ACB Media Holiday Auction. Join us on Sunday, November 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Zoom or on ACB Media. You can bid on great, unique items like handmade crafts, collectibles, technology, and food including those wonderful baked goods and a whole lot more. If you want to get a jump start on things, the Sneak-A-Peak Appetizer Auction is also back this year on November 25th and 26th. Watch your email for more details or contact Leslie Spoon. Her email address is lesliespoon at cfl.rr.com. We'll see you Sunday, November the 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific at the ACB Media Holiday Auction. Happy bidding! Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to November's edition of Untangling Transportation. I am Ron Brooks uh, with Accessible Avenue. Uh, We are uh, the sponsor for this call, and I just want to say that this is going to be a lot of fun. We are going to have a lot of fun tonight. Uh, We are unwrapping air travel. But before we do that, I just want to acknowledge a couple of people uh, who are helping us tonight. Uh, I want to acknowledge uh, Herbie, who is streaming for us and managing Clubhouse. And I want to acknowledge Travis, who is hosting over here in Zoom uh, and helping with all of those duties. So I really appreciate the two of you. Uh, I am really glad to have so many of you by Zoom, by Clubhouse, on ACB Media. Uh, So we are going to have a lot of fun tonight. We have a lot of ground to cover. So um, I also want to just real quickly uh, say hello, and we'll introduce in a moment um, our two guests uh, who are joining me on on the virtual stage, uh, Claire Stanley and Janine Stanley. So um, it's kind of funny, but... I don't think they're related. Maybe they are, and they just haven't told us. But um, anyway, we um, are going to get to them in just a few minutes. And uh, ladies, thank you so much for being here as well. So there was a time when air travel was an absolutely amazing experience. When people dressed up to fly on planes, and they drank champagne, and they Um, walked on red carpets. Well, those days are gone. Uh, Air travel isn't quite like that anymore. Uh, Now it's it's sort of like taking a bus with wings and it's always crowded and there's always things going on and it can get a little crazy, especially uh, at the holiday times. And since so many of us are traveling for one reason or another, maybe it's to visit relatives, maybe it's to take a vacation, maybe it's for work, um, any number of reasons, it seemed like a good time to talk about one of our favorite topics to talk about, which is air travel and all the things that go with it. So let me just give you a quick overview of how the call will go, and um, then we can dive right in. So uh, first, I'm going to uh, introduce our speakers. We are going to have a a conversation uh, about air travel and their experience and some of the specific Uh, knowledge and experience and and tips and tricks that they can bring to the conversation. Uh, And then we will open it up. 
And when we open it up, we'll talk about kind of how we'll do that when we get there. Uh, that should come at about uh, seven. I'm sorry, I'm on mountain time. That should come at about 945 Eastern. Uh, so 45 minutes into this call. So we should have about half the call to uh, entertain questions and comments and all that good stuff. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into the conversation uh, with our guests first. So uh, let me just start by introducing Claire Stanley. Claire is a public policy analyst uh, for National Disability Rights Network. Uh, she has done a ton of work around air Carrier Access Act advocacy and guide dogs in the air advocacy uh, and a bunch of other work with ACB. Uh, she uh, is has a guide dog herself, so she's certainly somebody uh, who can who can really speak to this topic at a really good level. Hey, Claire. Hi, Ron. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for we, having me. Hey, this will be great. We also have uh, Janine Stanley. Uh, Janine is Director of Customer Communications for IRA, and we'll talk about IRA some as, as part of this conversation. Before that, she uh, was Director of Community Relations for Guide Dog Foundation, Smithtown, New York. Um, she has uh, a, a tremendous lot of experience uh, with the guide dog community. Of course, she has a dog herself. She was a former president of, of Guide Dog Users Incorporated, and, she's, and she lives in Columbus, Ohio, which means that all those jobs with all those companies, she was traveling. And so she's traveled a great deal <laughs> as well. And Janine has a what I would consider to be a peculiar sense of humor. Uh, and a peculiar <laughs> ability to tell stories from her perspective, from the perspective of cats and dogs and who knows what all. And um, and she has a fascination with peanuts under seats, which maybe we can talk about, or maybe we won't, I don't know. But Janine, <laughs> thank you so much for coming and joining us uh, for this conversation. I have a feeling we are not going to be bored tonight. I hope not, Ron. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so this will be great. And I too am a pretty frequent air traveler, but I'm going to try not to take up too much space because y'all, if you want to hear all of my complaints and, and carryings on about air travel, uh, I'm on Facebook and I post about this crazy stuff all the time. So let's dive in and talk to uh, the people that are here to talk about it. So I've got a question. I'm gonna, and we're gonna do this kind of informally. This is like sitting around a, a, a virtual uh, coffee table. I've got my big water bottle here because it's uh, I'm still working. Uh, but you've got your drink of choice. We're sitting back and we're just chatting. So let me just open it up with a question for both of you, and maybe Claire, if you want to go first, just talk a little bit about where you live, what you do, and I, I mean, I introduced you, but give a little more context about what that looks like, and, and particularly how does it relate to air travel. Um, just give us a little flavor. Sure. Um, hi, everybody. Good evening, good night, wherever you are. Um, I work for the National Disability Rights Network. Um, so if you've never heard of NDRN, we're the membership organization uh, for the protection and advocacy offices. There's one in every state, so you all have them. Um, and they're basically kind of like legal aid offices for uh, disability rights. So if you ever need advocacy done, call up your state PNA. But we also do a lot of advocacy here at the national level. Um, our office is based in DC, so I work here in Washington, DC. I myself live uh, just northwest of DC in one of what we call the DC suburbs um, in Maryland. And um, so as the, the federal office, we do a lot of uh, work right here on the Hill. Um, so I joke that um, 
with my job, I'm a lobbyist, so I should be up on the hill, but because of COVID, I joke, I'm just on a lot of Zoom calls now. Um, but it's our job to go to Capitol Hill, advocate for people with disabilities. Um, and specifically, transportation is one of the um, topics I have in my portfolio. So you name it, trains, planes, and automobiles. Um, I'm always dealing with transportation-related issues, which obviously air travel is a big one of those. So I have the opportunity to literally talk to Congress members all the time about any type of transportation, including air travel for people with disabilities, people who are blind. Um, and it's fun. I really enjoy it. Um, in fact, I even had the privilege of sitting on the Air Carrier Access Advisory Committee. It was mandated by the um, reauthorization of the uh, FAA back in 2018, I believe it was. And so I got the opportunity to sit um, on this, this advisory council with several other advocates to talk about how can we make air travel better for people with disabilities? Because I'm sure all of you at home are nodding that it's not the greatest thing. It's there's We're very privileged to have it, but there's still a lot of problems. So that's a little bit about me and what I do. Um, and just shout out, we talk, uh, Ron talked about me being a guide dog user. I'm on my third guide dog right now. I've got all my dogs from GDB. And if you guys have never watched Pick of the Litter, I have my Disney princess yellow lab Tulane here with Awesome. And we'll, we'll talk more about a couple of those topics a little bit later. Um, but, but thank you. Janine, tell us your story. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, as Ron said, I live here in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I have worked out of my home since 2008. So pandemic, nothing new to me, nothing new. Um, but like you also said, Ron, I, I traveled a bit for my job with Guide Dog Foundation. Before that, I was a grants administrator in, drumroll please, transportation, which is how I actually met Ron long ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've done a whole lot of things um, in my life. One of my passions is ACB Radio and, and working with the staff of ACB Radio on various projects. Spent a lot of time editing convention audio from this summer, which was a fascinating and fun project. As far as my dogs, um, I just got a new guide dog this past March, actually, last week in March. So I was in the March 28th class at the Seeing Eye, and I have a golden retriever named Curtis, and he is the ninth dog. We are a two-dog household here, so my husband also has a guide dog, so we have two golden retrievers, and that presents all kinds of other fun aspects of travel when you've got two service dogs. Boy, oh boy, does it. I, and just, um, I also travel with a guide dog. Mine's a seeing eye dog who is an 85 pound yellow lab named York. Um, and York has convinced me that, um, that economy plus ain't all that. Because <laughs> it's like, <laughs> by the time you shove 85 pounds of lab under a seat, there's not much left. Um, but uh, I'll tell you, it is, um, it is interesting. It, traveling with guide dogs is definitely, um, it, it's freeing in some ways, and it's a penalty, and it's, it's, it's a challenge in others. But um, but anyway, so we, we, so we did start to talk a little bit about dogs. And, and I, so I have to ask, your dog currently, uh, Janine, does he like to travel? He does. He, he loves does. to travel. He gets very excited, very happy. Mm -hmm. He's looking for those peanuts under the air. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you the origin of that while everybody's asking. If you follow Thoughts of Dog on Twitter, which is a fabulous, fabulous thing to follow, um, they have the Skittle under the fridge. 
which, mm-hmm. you know, draws the attention of the dog in that particular line of tweets. And so as I'm writing and trying to figure out Curtis's brand, I, I thought, okay, it's the peanut under the airline seat, even though I don't think any airlines have peanuts anymore. But, you know, <laughs> if there is one, he'll find it and save a life. Yeah. Well, that is just wonderful. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and Ron, I did want to note that um, Claire was mentioning the advisory committee, which I think was fabulous. That was an offshoot of a process that I was involved with back in 2016, which is, boy, a whole other story. But that was the Regnig process for changing the definition of service animal in the Air Carrier Access mm. Act. Mm. Which we're going to, which we're going to get to. So... Um, because I think there's good elements and, and challenging elements. In fact, that's where I wanted to go next. And, and I'm going to start with Claire, although it sounds like Janine, you may have something to add to that as well. So we're going to talk about the Air Carrier Access Act in general, but I first want to just kind of, since we're talking about dogs, let's just start there. So about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, maybe right at the end of 2020, the uh, Air Carrier Access Act rules for for dogs. And for those of you, uh, just as background, once you cross into the secured part of the airport, uh, you're not in the ADA anymore. You're in the Air Carrier Access Act, which is which actually predates the ADA by a couple of years. It's a little bit different, uh, but it's basically the ADA with wings, if you will. It's, it's the part that applies to flight. Uh, it's gov- it governs the airlines and it governs access for people with disabilities in the air. And it's different. And and two years ago, not quite, um, the law changed. And the law changed in reference to guide dog or service animals, what constitutes a service animal. And I'm not going to steal your thunder. And it also changed in terms of what we have to do as passengers if we want to travel with a service animal. And I'm going to tell you, things got harder. Um, So... And as a frequent flyer who, who who books my own travel and who sometimes forgets to put in that little eight digit number, it can be a little bit challenging uh, when you get to the airport. So Claire, if you could just talk about uh, what are some of the rules that apply now for folks traveling with guide dogs when they travel by air? Why were those things put into place? And what's your sense of how the implementation is going from your perspective as an advocate who knows uh, what's going on? Because you were there. For sure. Thanks, John. So yeah, let's let's step back even further than two years. Um, gosh, three years plus, I, it's all a blur now. Um, but okay, so let's do a quick civic lesson. So the way our government works, we have three branches of the government, right? And so Congress passes the law, which is the Air Care Access Act that Ron talked about. That was passed in 1986. Then the executive branch, sometimes under laws, oftentimes under laws, they have the responsibility of what we call promulgating regulations. We have a law, but we don't have those like nitty gritty regs. And so the executive branch and the appropriate federal agency, they come up with those regs. And so in this uh, case, it's Department of Transportation. So we had pre-existing regulations and laws that were really specific about what type of animals were and were not allowed on planes. Because again, I think a lot of us, we all know how to quote the ADA, and we know that service dogs are dogs, period, under the ADA. Well, under the Air Carrier Access Act, that wasn't the case. Any animal under the sun could be 
a service animal or an emotional support animal. And so it was getting really messy. So that's where we all heard those funny stories of like the peacock who was brought on the plane as an emotional support animal. So fast forward to a few years ago, Department of Transportation said, this is getting out of hand. Let's take a comment from the public to potentially um, promulgate new regulations and change things. So under this process of promulgating regs, everybody gets, and everybody or anybody, so any of you out there, uh, has the right to go online, go to the federal register and submit comments answering questions they have. And so some of these questions were about those very issues. You know, what animals should be considered as service animals? Should we allow emotional support animals? If we let them on, what kind of requirements are you going to have to have? And that's kind of where this all all started. Uh, ACB submitted comments. Um, I know because I wrote a lot of them when I was still working at ACB. But I know many, many of you guys submitted them individually as well, as along with many of the affiliates in the committee. So that was really important. So fast forward um, then to what Ron was talking about when the um, DOT, they took all those comments, they read them, and then they decided what regulations they were going to come up with. So a couple of the key things that impact those of us with guide dogs, um, it used to be that you could bring an emotional support animal on. That's gone. Can't do that anymore. And it used to separate out psychiatric support animals from emotional support animals. Um, And those of us who know the ADA know that if an animal is trained to do a task that's psychiatric related, that's a service animal. So it's combined those under the ACAA, made it look more like the ADA, and has taken away emotional support animals. So in that respect, I am taking off my hat as an employee of NDRN and putting on my hat as Claire because I want to make sure that my opinions are my opinions. Um, Some of us might be excited about that, right? Because we don't have quote unquote, emotional support animals, dogs that might not always be the happiest on flights and might interact with our dogs. So I think the the verdict is still out. It's still new. So it'd be great to hear people's experiences on has that had the um, intended consequence? Has it made it easier for, again, this is Claire opinion, not NDR's opinion. Has that made that easier for those of us with service dogs? Um, so that is a big part. And then I think another big part that I know everybody wants to talk about One of the new parts of the regulation is now when you fly with your dog, you have to submit an attestation that says that your dog is in fact a service dog. Um, it's, It's a form, it's not too long, but basically you just have to attest to the fact that your dog is in fact um, a service dog. Um, It's a form, the DOT created a kind of a basic form that all airlines have to adopt. Ask for your dog's name. If it's self-trained, you can put your self-training. Otherwise, you can put what school you got your dog from. It's weight. You have to promise and attest that your dog will behave itself. Um, I'm sure many, many of you have filled out this form before. Um, And it has to be done at least 48 hours in advance unless you book your ticket last minute. Then you can do it there. Um, But there's been a lot of issues about how accessible it is and those kinds of things. Um, But that was kind of one of the other big takeaways from these new regulations is this form that those of us with guide dogs know you never had to do before. Um, And now we have this extra burden of having to attest to the fact in written form that our dog is, in fact, a service dog. And, and so I'm going to move to Janine, but before I do, Clara, just a real quick question, and, and, and maybe maybe it's not a quick, if it's not a quick answer, we don't have to go too far into it, but 
why does each airline have to do their own process completely different from everybody else? And why can't there be one process managed by DOT through FAA or somewhere else? Why do we have to do it five different ways for five different airlines? That is the million dollar question, Ron. And if you mm-hmm. have a good answer, please let me know. I know many of us have advocated for that because yep. it would make it easier. It wouldn't be such a headache. Um, so that is actually something I know many advocates have been Great. advocating. So in other words, there's no answer. It's just... There is no answer. answer. <laughs> well, there's an answer, but it's probably not one you want to hear. <laughs> no, we're still trying to be family friendly. So Janine, so yes. Janine you know, before we maybe jump on you know, to another question, if you want to just kind of comment, because it sounds like you had some history as well. From, from your perspective, at a guy, you worked with a guide dog school. You worked for uh, yeah. a GDF, and and you've been involved with GDUI before that. Um, could could you just talk a little bit about how the guide dog training schools have approached these issues and how they are working uh, both with students and also with the with the industry um, to try to make this work better. Um, and I realize that you know your role has changed, so maybe this isn't mm-hmm. current, but what can you share about that? And then maybe we'll move on away from dogs and to some sure. other stuff. Well, I can tell you the one reason why there is no central form location, because when that form was being designed mm-hmm. at the Regneg process, when we were mm-hmm. looking at how are we going to do this, what are we going to do, um, we started designing the form. Because the airlines were going to make us, uh, you know, do things like uh, uh, prove blindness, prove disability with something. And, and of course, the advocates stood up and said, no, we're not going to do that. But as we were doing this, we said, oh, and DOT can, can keep track of these forms. And DOT said, no. <laughs> I think they might have put a few expletives with that. But they said, we do not have the, the processes or the facilities to host these forms and keep track of them, etc. The airlines can do this. They need to use our basic form. They can add to it as long as they're not um, impinging on civil rights and as long as what they're asking is not doing that. I would argue with that, but um, <laughs> but definitely that's why you've got a different form for every airline. Now, I have seen if your flight takes more than one carrier that you can use a form between carriers. You don't have to worry about that. Um, but that's a whole other issue. Mm. But part of the reason, <laughs> and this is, I, see, I get to say this because I'm not with a guide dog school anymore. Part of the reason, and the guide dog schools honestly have been trying so hard to educate their their um, their graduates and others as to what the laws are, how to keep from getting in all kinds of trouble when you fly, having a bad experience. They're really trying hard. They're reaching out to the airlines about accessibility of the forms of the service animal relief areas, all that stuff. But when we started getting into these discussions, it was very clear that nobody at the airlines wanted to be the bad guy. Nobody at the airlines wanted to say to the person with the out-of-control dog, that animal is not getting on that plane. And nobody wanted to make that decision or say that, especially if it was a really, you know, bona fide service animal. Um, Nobody wanted to take that responsibility. They were trying to put that back on the community to have some sort of way to regulate itself. And so Mm -hmm. that's what, that's the genesis of this horrible form. Interesting. Well, that's very, very interesting. And I will tell you, and, and I, for those of you who travel, and it'll be interesting as we get into comments later, 
my experience is that 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 the uh, the pet owners have figured this process out. Um, when it first started, I noticed many fewer dogs on flights. Yep. I'm noticing a lot more dogs on flights. Yep. And a lot of bad ones. <laughs> just that's, creepy. And we'll again, just, yeah, yep. exactly. And again, nobody is taking yep. responsibility. Yep. And on the form itself, it does say that you know if if your attestation is proven not to be true, you're breaking federal law. Now, I want to see the first case come to court. I want to see this. I really do. <laughs> because yeah. I would love to see them throw the book at somebody, knowing full well they're not going to. But And, and, and so I'm going to, we're going to change the subject. But just to end this subject, I want to come back to one thing that Janine said. You talked about the peacock. And I guess I just don't understand. There's a, such a simple solution. The peacock could have flown next to the plane. Anyway, we <laughs> shall move on. So I don't think peacocks can fly, Ron. I think they're flightless birds. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure they can't, but that's okay. This is why I, I like stick your, to I like, I like your the logic. This is why I stick to transportation. So Claire, there's a whole other rest of the Air Carrier Access Act. And I don't want to go too too deep, but if you could just talk for a few minutes about what are the services that people uh, who are blind or low vision can reasonably expect when they choose to travel by air. Um, and, and if you could talk specifically about things like, uh, you know, getting assistance, getting the assistance you need versus the assistance the airline thinks you need, turning down assistance if you don't need assistance, uh, and what to do when things are not the way they should be. Yeah, definitely. Um, so like we talked about before, once, uh, Ron put it well, once you're in the the echelons of the airport and the airline, the ADA kind of goes away. It's, it's a funny way of putting it. But the accommodations that you're getting now fall under the Air Carrier Access Act. So a lot of times when you, we talk about the ADA, we toss around the term a reasonable accommodation. So for all intents and purposes, you can just think of that as the reasonable accommodations you can get as a blind flyer, passenger, customer. Um, and so it includes things like many of us have received before guide assistance um, to and from um, our um our gate, if you have a transfer, you know, when you get from one airport transferring to the other gate, those kinds of things, getting through TSA, which is actually then TSA gets triggered, which is a whole other subject. Um, but any type of assistance, um, like any reasonable accommodation, they can't force you to take it. So if you want to use, I know um, Janine's obviously going to talk about IRA. If you want to use IRA and use, you know, get through yourself, they can't force you to have it. Um, but things like that. So um, I know, and, and making sure that the, uh, the assistance they give you is appropriate. We've all heard horror stories about persons who are blind or low vision being forced to use a wheelchair. They cannot do that. The accommodation you request, as long as it's, you know, we always use the term reasonable, um, but you, you know, you can be guided via sighted guide, you can follow them, your guide dog can follow them. So just making sure that you're getting reasonable and appropriate assistance. Um, it starts once you get to your, um, ticket counter. So once you get to the ticket counter, that's when you can ask for assistance and they can guide you to your gate. Um, all the way through the end process, they have to guide you to the baggage claim. And even if you know you want to say, hey, I need to go to the curb to find a taxi, they can guide you out. So throughout the whole process. Um, 
yeah, so just kind of any any of those services. Again, I think a lot of us tend to say, oh, well, under the ADA, but you know, if you want to be in the know and make sure you know what law you're talking about, you'd say, hey, under the ACAA. Um, obviously, it's not as applicable to those of us who are blind, but the Air Carrier Access Act also does talk more widely about accommodations for things like um, persons who use wheelchairs and making sure that they have access um, accommodations once you're on the plane. As of now, things like um, onboard entertainment is mostly inaccessible, but they are working on regulations um, to fix that. We'll see when that happens. Um, getting assistance when you're on the plane, you know, hey, can you help me find um, my baggage, you know, putting your baggage in the overhead compartment. Um, one last thing I'll say is that um, there is legislation out there that was introduced again in the 117th Congress called the Air Carrier Access, I'm going to get it wrong, Amendments Act, Air Carrier Access Amendments Act. Um, and it's just trying to re, um, recharge the Air Carrier Access Act. Like we talked about, it was passed in the 80s. So it's old and it's not the strongest as it could be. And so this new amendment bill um, is trying to strengthen it. A lot of that has to do with physical access for people with disability, with physical disabilities. But I know ACB has been a big supporter of it because it's just trying to enhance accessibility and really push forward better um, experiences of uh, persons with disabilities when they fly. And then, and then a couple of options if you have a very poor experience. I, I know I have yeah. um, been uh, a somewhat frequent uh, patron of the CRO, uh, which mm -hmm. those, those letters are magical uh, with certain <laughs> airlines, um, unfortunately. Um, we had a debate about what the C stands for and what the R stands for, but um, but basically that's a magic word. Could you just talk about that and then also talk, you know, what would be an appropriate time to request that type of assistance and what and talk a little bit about the other option, which is kind of an online or phone-based complaint uh, that people can file if they have a, a particularly bad experience and they want to report it. Of course, things wrong and thanks for uh, re-emphasizing that question. So yeah, the CRO, they are mandated to have a CRO and I kind of see them as like a complaints um, officer, almost like when you're in a store, if somebody does something, you say, I want your manager. You can <laughs> say, I want the CRO. Um, and they are there. They're supposed to be available at any time. If you are not receiving quote unquote, your reasonable accommodation, um, you're allowed to say, hey, I need to speak to the CRO. And he or she is supposed to be readily available to help kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, to help um, engage in conversation with you and the other employees and find a solution. Um, so it shouldn't be, oh, well, we'll call the CRO and you'll hear from them in two weeks. No, no, no. They're supposed to be readily available. Um, so it's supposed to work out solutions. Unfortunately, we live in the real world. So we all know that's not always uh, going to happen or the CRO might not um, fully, you know, fix the problem. Um, and that is when you all have a right to file a complaint. And I'm going to talk about two ways you can file complaints because I often tell people, and I know it's really exhausting to file complaints, but we always should. So you can do it two ways. You can do it through the airline and or, and I say and or, because you should, if you have the capacity, file it through the government as well. Because if you double it up, you're making noise. And as frustrating as it is as advocates, making noise is important. So you can go through the Department of Transportation, through the appropriate office. You can do it online or via the phone. 
um, and submit a complaint. And it is their responsibility to look at every single complaint that comes um, across DOT's table. Uh, I just had, I was on a call just today where they were explaining how they collect the data of all their complaints and, you know, try to read the data and see what needs to be done going forward. Um, and, or you can file a complaint directly with the airline. Um, and I just really want to drive home that again, I know it's exhausting and we all face discrimination every day and we think, oh, why file a complaint with the government? But they, in my job working with both DOT as well as other federal agencies, they always tell us, oh, well, if nobody complained, we didn't know it was a problem. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, oh, we didn't know that was a problem because no one complained, even though I say, well, nobody complained because we're exhausted. Um, so again, I know it's exhausting, but file those complaints with DOT. Again, you can do it over the phone or online. Um, it might not have an immediate um, outcome that you love and, you know, changes the day and Disney and, you know, Disney ending. But I promise that that data over time really does make a difference to demonstrate to the DOT what's going on and what we need to be doing at the picture level. Thanks. And I'm sure we're going to come back to some of these topics when we open this up. But so, so I've just got a couple more questions. Janine, I wanted to just come back to you for a minute because Claire brought it up. Um, and I know I've tried you know, at different times to use IRA in airports. And this course is what you do all the time. So could you just talk about, um, you know, how IRA can benefit people at airports? Uh, it's showing up at more airports. And because we want to keep people entertained, if you could share some of the things maybe that you've heard for creative uses of IRA at an airport, there have to be some. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so for anyone who does not know, IRA is a visual interpreting service. We come through your smartphone through the IRA app, and we have professionally trained agents who help you through the rear-facing camera of your phone. So they're basically like eyes in your pocket. And at airports, the airport will pay for IRA service while you're there. So you can have as much time as you need with an agent to navigate the airport, to do whatever you need to do in the airport with the IRA agent. And a lot of people who use the service in airports where the connectivity is good, that's another fun adventure, <laughs> but uh, in airports where the connectivity is good, um, they really are finding that it's just easier to go with the agent and go themselves rather than have to wait on, say, the escort or anything like that. And I tell people, if you're a little nervous, you're not sure how it's going to work, take the escort and have the agent on with you. And that way the agent can tell you kind of what shops you're passing and all that kind of thing. And your airport escort service can get you where you need to go, but you'll have a better picture of the airport. So, Oh, boy, funny things that have happened in airports. Um, You know, it's amazing how much more money you will spend in an airport when you really find out that there are bars and restaurants there and what they serve. You know, having that person to read that menu to you. I know I spend so much more money in airports now because <laughs> I end up at the Hudson shop, you know, buying uh -huh. my my sodas and all my my snackies and everything for the flight. And uh, there are some nice restaurants in airports, believe it or not. Um, probably one of the funnier ones lately was somebody was flying with a child and this was a toddler. <clears throat> And any of you who have kids or grandkids, you know, if a toy is missing, if a favorite toy is missing, the world ends, 
okay, the world just totally <laughs> ends. And the child had lost the toy somewhere in the gate area. So the person had the IRA agent and they were crawling around on the floor and she's holding the phone under the seats trying to find this toy. <laughs> and uh, they finally found it, thank goodness. But, you know, you just never know what you're going to get into. So I have to share, and it's completely off subject, but I have to share. I have a a sparkling new seeing eye dog, highly trained, travels all over the country with me. We go into amazingly complicated situations. We were at a hotel recently, my wife and I, and we had Mr. York there and York has his favorite toy, which he would not bring because he's a, he is a yellow Labrador who is bringing toys beneath him. So I got, we were trying to leave and I, it was the last thing to go in the bag and it's kind of a nice toy and I didn't want to lose it. So I called Ira to locate the dog's toy, which oh was sitting gosh. six inches from his front paws. Oh so. yes. Isn't that always the case? Amazing. You know? <laughs> so anyway, so Ira is a good thing. And I will, I would caveat one thing you said, um, airport access for Ira is not free in all airports. So, so you might want to yes, just that is true. Yes, that check is that true. out first. Yes. Um, the airport does yes. have to purchase the service. Yes. So we are definitely not, we would love to be free in all airports, but not yet not yet not, not yet. yet so and you can always check <clears throat> excuse me within the ira app to see if the airport that you're going to is in the access network you can check on our website or you can call mm -hmm. our customer care folks and they'll let you know which airports are covered so before we wrap up i have one question for each of you and we'll start um we will start with mm, let's start with janine and then we'll go to claire talk about just some general things so You've, you've talked through all the legal stuff about the Air Carrier Access Act. You've talked about using IRA and, you know, the tools and some of that. Talk about just what's your strategy just to kind of keep your sanity when you're traveling as a blind person, maybe with a guide dog and you've got luggage and it's holidays and the flights are crowded. What's your routine? How do you make it all come together? Um, yeah, share a little bit of that and then we're going to start to open this up. Well, I think you start off with a good attitude because everybody hears, oh, travel's horrible and oh, they're going to be so, I'm going to have all my kinds of civil rights trouble and all this. <laughs> and if you go into it that way, that's exactly what's going to happen. And well, maybe not, but if you go into it and I got this great saying from a, my favorite cousin, she said, you know, go into these situations like you are the star of your own sitcom. Okay. And I love that. I thought that was perfect. But, um, you know, going, you're traveling for a reason, whether it's business or fun, whatever. And it's about the travel. It's about the adventure. It's not about all the horrible things that could happen. Be prepared. Um, have all your documents in a place where you can get to them easily, like your ID, your dog form and all that. And there's this lovely thing called a neck wallet. And some of you may have gotten them over the years at conventions as a booth giveaway. But it's just this little plastic pouch that you can put all that stuff in that goes around your neck, basically. And your phone can go in there and peek right out so your IRA agent can see everything. And then you've got that hands-free setup there. But, you know, also people are going to want to pet your dog. They're stressed. They're going to want to say hello, you know. And it's all up to you, but... 
if you go into it, I don't want anyone to pet my dog. No one will touch my dog. No one will talk. You know, I get that. Some dogs get really distracted. But it's kind of a time to relax and just enjoy the fact that people like your dog. More and more airports, too, have these therapy dogs that are walking around. And, of course, you know, that's the one time when your perfectly behaved guide dog will say, Yeah, party! And it just all goes downhill. But, but you have to laugh because if you don't, you will just have ruined your trip. And it's just going to snowball from there. So kind of go into it with with a, okay, bleep might happen, but I'm I'm going to clean it up and move on. There you go. Yep. Yep. Go with curiosity. Yes. <laughs> and a sense of humor. Oh, definitely sense of humor. Yes. Claire, <laughs> any advice? I definitely echo everything Janine just said. Um, some practical things always get there early. I know it's frustrating, but the earlier you get there, I think we've all had horror stories of when you ask for that guide assist that you have a legal right to, and they say, sure, go sit over there. And you've been sitting there for an hour and they've forgotten about you. First of all, be your own advocate, jump up and down, wave your hands in the air. Don't let them forget you, but know that sometimes they're going to take time. So um, go as early as you can because it just makes all the difference. So you're not stressed. Um, I promise Janine did not pay me to say this, but I really do <laughs> encourage people to use IRA if you can for the fun of it, but just for the exploration. Um, I always get guide assist because I know it's my right and it's helpful to have them. But I love having IRA then when I have a three hour layover because, you know, that when the guide assist takes you to your gate, they don't hang out there with you. Thank God that would be awkward. Um, but they also don't hang out with you. So an hour in, if you go, oh, no, I really need to use the restroom, then you have IRA to find the restroom. And so it just makes all the difference. So if that's something you're interested in exploring, I would definitely encourage everybody to do that. And then I think also just be your own advocate and be aware and be persistent. For instance, um, the guide assist might take you to the gate um, and they're supposed to tell the person at the counter, hey, you know, Claire is going to board this plane. Can you make sure that when pre-boarding happens, you let her know? Unfortunately, and I'm sure many of you will nod your head, they don't always remember you. So again, be your own advocate. Be bold enough to lean over to the person next to you and say, hey, I get a pre-board, do you mind telling me where the gate is or not be afraid to again stand up and wave your hands in the air like you just don't care and say, hey, don't forget about That's me. Right. <laughs> I love your that song. Yes. <laughs> Always stand up for yourself. <laughs> so, so I'm going to throw in a couple of mine and I do travel quite, off, quite often and just a couple of things that we haven't talked about yet. If you are traveling with a, a guide dog, every airport in the country by law has to have a pet relief area um, inside the secured part of the airport. They are not. Um, they are not always close to where you are. They are not always convenient, and they are never pleasant. But <laughs> they are necessary sometimes, um, particularly if you uh, catch a flight delay or you've got um, a cross-country connection. So that is something. And uh, the the pre the people who provide the assistance, if you request assistance, are supposed to be trained on their locations uh, and they are um, expected if you need to, to go to the one of those places um, they are expected to know where they are and for your own comfort um, I'm a person who does not love ginormous restrooms with 
piles and piles of people coming and going in and out of them and finding an empty space. Um, I ever, almost all our parts that I've been in recently have family assist restrooms. These are single um, use restrooms for one person with a lockable door. Um, those are for me and particularly traveling with a dog because of space. Um, they are much more comfortable to use. Um, and, and that is something that you also have a right to use if you need to do that. So uh, those are a couple things. Um, it goes without saying these days, don't expect food on your flight. You better buy it on the air, in the airport before you get on the plane because <laughs> no unless, you're, unless you're upgraded, you're probably <laughs> starving. So uh, it, it's definitely a different time, but it, it, you know, the cool thing about flying is once you get there, you're somewhere else. So at least you'll, <laughs> there, there have been a couple of times when that did not happen. Uh, we got in the air and came back, but anyway, that's, that's another story. So we're going to open it up now for other folks um, to, to come in. And um, let me just, before I do, I just want to say a little bit about Accessible Avenue. Uh, we are a, uh, a consulting and training company in the space of transportation. Uh, we work with the transportation industry, uh, primarily public transit, mobility providers, uh, technology companies that work in transportation to help them become more accessible and more equitable in how they uh, provide their services and products for folks uh, with disabilities. Uh, our website is accessibleavenue.net. We've got a resource link with a few things on it that you can check out. Uh, if you would like to know more, uh, you can check out our website, fill out a form uh, that's on our site, send an email to connect at accessibleavenue.net, and we're happy to add you to our announcement list. Uh, and we also do work with organizations and individuals. Um, and if you have, so if you have a transportation challenge that you're not getting a resolution to, uh, we can help you figure out what to do with it. And if we don't have the answer, we can go find it. Uh, so, you know, please feel free to reach out if you need to. Again, it's connect at accessibleavenue.net or the online form on our website, which is accessibleavenue.net. And that's it for the commercial. Let's now open this up. So we are going to invite folks to raise their hands uh, in Zoom. If you're in Clubhouse, request to speak. Uh, I'm going to ask our host, Travis, to call on people one at a time. When he does that, uh, if you, you can then unmute. Once you unmute, if you could just say your first name, just so we know who you are and where you're from, um, city, state, we don't, we don't need to know much more than that. Uh, and just share your question or comment. Um, and keep in mind, we have a lot of folks. Um, so if you could limit yourself to one question or, or comment, not a whole series, uh, and then we will yeah, either Claire or, or Janine uh, can take that or both, depending on what it is, and then we'll move on to the next person. And we're going to basically ask folks to just, once we get through everybody, you know, we can take second questions and second comments from people uh, if we have time. We'll alternate between Zoom and Clubhouse. So, um, so yeah, let's just dive in. Um, Travis, do we have any hands raised? We do have a few, and it is 46 after the hour, so you oh, timed that pretty well. Awesome. One minute <laughs> Melissa, Melissa, you're first. Thank you. Um, good evening, Janine, Ron, and um, Claire. Yes, this is uh, Melissa here in Burien, Washington, a suburb of Seattle. And um, it's great to have both of you ladies here. So as you guys all know, the um, 
airports and hotels, all those things, they're all very short staffed now. And so my question is, because I've not been able to travel to see my mother, this will be my third year this Christmas that I've not been able to see her because of different travel reasons and airports being short staffed. What would you say if a person says to a blind person, um, we can't provide assistance for you because we're short staffed and we don't have that many people? What's your answer to that question? And thank you very much for being here. Uh, well, this is Claire. I can jump in. If if mm-hmm. the person who says that to you is an employee of an airline, you have every right to say, I'm sorry, under the Air Carrier Access Act, you are legally obligated to provide an accommodation. Um, so I would push back on it. I know it can be hard sometimes. Um, you know, you can feel pressure um, and overwhelmed in those situations, but they have, a, it's not just this customer service thing. It's a legal obligation. Um, so um, I, you know, obviously you don't need to know the law backwards and forwards and have to quote it verbatim, but just being bold enough to know what the law is and being able to kind of put that back toward them and say, well, this is a legal obligation. It's not just something you're doing because you're a nice person. Thanks. And I'll jump in here too. It's Janine. Um, Claire said it best, get there early. But if this is taking a long time because they are short-staffed, I found that these days people are actually, despite all of our growling and snarling at each other, people are pretty friendly in the airport, especially if you have a guide dog. If they start talking, you know, about your dog and things like that, hey, could I, my flight's leaving at gate such and such. Could I walk to the gate with you or could I walk to security with you? And then oftentimes the folks at TSA can also help find someone to escort you to the gate. So, you know, it's a matter of sort of working people. Um, Jay Stightly from Seeing I used to call it mobility babble, where, you know, (laughs) someone would talk to you about the dog and you would kind of, you know, uh, take advantage of their their, uh, presence to get where you needed to go. Yeah, and this is another really good use for Ira because, folks, Ira is free. Um, yep. for five minutes at a time. So yep. if you have a phone, get Ira, even if you never plan to use it, if you're really, really stuck, you got free, you got five minutes for free that mm-hmm. you can actually get some assistance to go to go find somebody. Um, mm-hmm. I love the TSA trick because once you're at TSA, you are now the airport's problem yes. <laughs> and they will do something <laughs> because they at that point really have to. So, um, and TSA, you know, they pull some weight. So Next comment or question. Let's go to Clubhouse. Do we have anybody in Clubhouse? Yes, we do. Sue Ellen. Hey, Ron. It's Sue Ellen in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Hey. Okay. Well, I was quite intrigued to hear that that the people who do guide assistance are required to know where the pet relieving areas are. Because I'll tell you one airport where for the last two years, they haven't known where they are. uh, um, And that is Baltimore. I was Mm. just about to say Baltimore, Sue Ellen. (laughs) Yep. I've been through there. And I, this, after this last trip, when three out of four human guides um, didn't know where the area was, um, I uh, did some of that advocating y'all were talking about. Yeah, I got hold of. Yep, I got up on the uh, website at uh, for BWI. I found a contact us link. I wrote Mm -hmm. to them. I appraised apprised them of this uh, this uh, neglect in their people's training, 
And they said that they actually were about to start doing some new training for people. But they also sent me information that included a map and a description of where the pet relieving area was. Oh, excellent. That's which a great, I thought great was an tip. interesting response. Very good. And, and in the moment when that happens, that's a good CRO call. So if you're at an airport, you're changing planes, you have an hour and a half and your dog needs a break, that's a good time. And you're getting no help. That's a good time to say, hey, I need a CRO right here, right now. Um, because yeah, I mean, they, we were yeah. they were already holding the plane for me because it mm. was taking forever mm. to get somebody yeah. to take me to said flight. Mm, mm. Next, One thing next, you can do. Oh, ahead, sorry. I was just going to say real quick. I know that information often is available on their, uh, the airport's website. It's a pain in the butt that we have to do our, our homework ahead of time, but we all know the reality. So sometimes if you can do that homework online too and have it, mm -hmm. um, cause it's, it's not right and it's not fair, but I, we've learned that the turnover for the guide assist is ridiculous. And I think that's part of the reason they're not well-trained because they're just constantly cycling through. Yep. So if you're able to tell him, Hey, the, the website says the dog relief area is in gate C or wing C or what, you know, having your information yeah. can help as well. Between yeah. B awesome. and A. <laughs> yep. All right. Back over to zoom. All right. Connie is next. Connie, you may unmute. All right. Well, while she's figuring that, we'll move over to William. Uh, good evening, Ron. Could you, yeah. um, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I had yep. trouble finding the unmute Let's button. do Connie first, and William, hang on. You're next. Yes. Connie, go ahead. Okay. Hi, everyone. So this mm -hmm. is Connie Bateman from Sacramento, California, and I, I am an, a fairly fairly new IRA explorer. Um, I haven't used IRA a lot to travel with yet, but I'm looking forward to um, trying. Um, I have a funny story to share and then I'll mute. Mm -hmm. So um, I went to Hawaii, flew to Hawaii with a group of friends in March and had a great time. And then on our way back in the airport, two, two ladies were in wheelchairs. And then one of them had an exchange student who had traveled with us. And the exchange student was my sighted guide. Well, she didn't want to lose the ladies in the wheelchair because they were going really fast. So we practically ran through the airport in Honolulu to keep up with them. And so mm -hmm. that's a pretty big airport. Okay. Yes. So then we got to San Francisco. And when we got off the plane in San Francisco, someone, someone, one of the group said, oh, they brought three wheelchairs instead of two. Now, normally I would say, oh, no, no, no. I don't need a wheelchair. I can walk from here. But I was so exhausted that I said, Okay. So I got in the mm -hmm. chair and it was great. They took us from the airplane to the luggage carousel <laughs> to the curb to, for a ride. And I thought, you know, the older I get and the harder it is to walk long distances, I could get used to this. <laughs> <laughs> so All anyway, right. thanks, thanks for the presentation. And I'm looking forward to, to trying Ira when I, when I travel again. Thanks. All right. Well, good luck and happy travels. Thanks. All right, William. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, Ron, I have a great uh, good story. Evening, uh, oh, hang on, William. Hang on one second, William. Yeah, one second, William. I've got a great story about tra traveling in a wheelchair. My One of my sisters uses a cane. The other one uses a guide dog. But the one who uses a cane, the first time she took a flight, she didn't know that she didn't have to ride in the wheelchair. So she was late. And she said, okay, all right, all right, I'll ride in the wheelchair. The guy turned it around. So she was riding backward, grabbed the handles, and ran to the gate. 
<laughs> she's watching the airport just going backward to the mm. gate. She said it was hilarious, actually. Wow. All right, William, you have been patient. Go ahead. Thank you very much, Ron, uh, Claire, and, and uh, uh, thank you very much for uh, being here. And uh, this is a wonderful presentation. William Bolina from Burien, Washington, which is a suburb of Seattle. Um, and my question is, uh, how do you, um, who do you talk to about finding about, uh, about IRA being uh, a free service in, uh, in airports? Sure. I can take that one, Ron. Um, mm -hmm. William, you can either look on our website, which is AIRA.io. So almost think of old McDonald, AIRA.io. Uh, or you can call our customer care team, and their number is 800-835-1934. And they are around 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Pacific. And I believe SeaTac is an access airport, uh, but surprisingly, O'Hare in Chicago is not, and Jackson Hartsfield in Atlanta is not. Um, and there's a whole big story behind that. But um, yeah, give us a call and let us know where you're traveling to the point um, that I believe it was uh, someone who was talking about getting the map, oh, Connie, getting the map of the airport, you can actually have the IRA agent take a picture of that, put it in your profile with IRA, and then when you go to that airport, they can look that up and say, oh yeah, okay, I see you've got the map here, let's guide you to the service animal relief area. And yep. Baltimore is notorious for that, so. Thank you very much. And I have a nice, picture of my luggage in my IRA profile yep. so that we can locate it um, when I can get reception down in baggage. <laughs> uh, do we have anybody in Clubhouse? Any hands in Clubhouse? Sorry about that. I am just looking real quick double to double check, but I do not think we do. Okay. Let's see. <clears throat> No, we did not. Okay. That's what I thought. Let's hop back over to Zoom. Travis. All right, Diane, you're, it's your turn. Hi, this is Diane from San Jose, California. And mm -hmm. my question is about the um, form, you know, for the guide dogs. Um, well, actually, it applies to both situations. I didn't know where to get one. And also, if let's say I get a good deal on a flight uh, the day before I want to go. So then how where can I get the form so that I'll have it with me already filled out? Yep. Um, this is Claire. So every airline is now responsible to have it on their website. So you can literally just Google the name of your airline in um, service animal attestation form, and it should pop up. They have it on all their websites, um, even though it's a, uh, it's the same uh, form for every airline. You do have to know that they all want you to submit it differently, which I personally think is a pain in the butt and it should be uniform, but I don't get to make that decision. So just make sure that you look up your airline. Cause some, for instance, uh, I fly Southwest a lot and they just want you yeah. to print it out and bring it with you. Whereas some, you have to submit it on their website. Um, so yeah, just make sure you look on your airline's website and it should pop right up and it'll tell you how they want it. If you buy your ticket the day of, because you got a really good deal the 48 hour rule only, ap only applies if you bought your ticket before that 48 hours. So um, if you do it the day of, you can just 
um, download it that day and submit it however they want. If, you know, heaven forbid you had a, a family emergency and you rushed to the airport and you haven't even bought your ticket and you bought, you know, you buy it right then and there at the counter, um, it's their responsibility to be able to pull the form up and help you fill it out right then and there at the, at the ticket gate. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, so if, if 48 hours before, um, then you would submit it like online or mailing it well hopefully however they require yeah yeah okay and and i'm going to tell you having just made the mistake of not i I fly on american they're all different folks they are all different on american they want you to submit it on their website and i and the way it works with american at least is the attestation form the dot form is is you, you turn that in you get it your you get your number and then you show that to the airline and you're good but you have to enter it for each reservation. And if you do not have that in um, and you get to the airport, they want to see that form in its original copy, which I didn't have. I had the form, but it wasn't um, it wasn't in the reservation and the people in the airport, and I'm in a hub city, um, they were very confused. Uh, I'm telling you, allow time. Do not, if you don't have this form, do not expect to show up an hour before your flight and, and make it. Um, give yourself at least an extra hour if you think you're going to have to to do any paperwork at the at the ticket counter, um, or if you're like me and you forgot to do something that you thought you did, and then you got there to find out that you didn't. You you better hope you have enough time to do it um, because this is it's senseless bureaucracy, but it's bureaucracy that stands between you and the boarding door. You have to do it. So. I'm going to bring the form with me. Yeah. Always always good to have the hard copy with you. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Thank you. All right. Travis. 614-304. It's a phone number. You're next. Can you let us know who you are? Denise. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Denise in um, Columbus, Ohio. All right. So my question is, is Ira free at Port Columbus in Rickenbacker? Yes, it is. that was I knew you enough. <laughs> I believe that was a term um, of employment. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you think Rickenbacker too, or you're not sure? Yes, no, it is actually at Rickenbacker as well. And um, okay, and I will give a plug for Port Columbus now, John Glenn International Airport. Airport's got the best acoustics of any airport I've ever been to. When they remodeled, they did a beautiful job with the acoustics in there. Hmm. Yeah, you they can actually did. talk um, no. to someone. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you heard of anyone using Ira on a ship? Yes, yes. Actually, people do. Um, many of them, you will need to purchase the upgraded internet plan for most cruise ships if you're going to use Ira. Uh, but yes, people uh-huh. have. Absolutely. Um, the agents love it when somebody calls from like the middle of the Pacific Ocean or something. <laughs> uh-huh. But yes, absolutely. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Great presentation. All right. We do have somebody in Clubhouse. All right. Deanne. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, Well, I hope that Chicago will adopt IRA before the convention next year. (laughs) That would be good. It's it's an issue, Deanne, of... um, they have a bid process that you have to go through and you need three bids. Well, there's only like one company that does what we do. So <laughs> little difficult to get three bids, but we're working on them. So we'll see. 
<laughs> I love government. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Hey, we uh, got Phoenix, and that was an initial issue there. And we got Phoenix, so. I have hope. no doubt. I live here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we have any other uh, any other folks in Clubhouse real quick since we've got Herbie there? We do not. All right. Back over to Zoom. Travis. We do have All an right. audience, though. Um, so, right. so you do have people, but no raised hands currently. Perfect. All right. Grant, Grant Downey, you're next. Can you hear me? Yes, you can. Okay, good. Uh, thank you, Claire and Janine. This has a, been a fine call. And Ron, your calls are always great. Uh, my you. question has to do with wheelchairs. Uh, do you all have any suggestions? I've not flown since I've had to be in a wheelchair. And so I'd kind of like to know what I should expect. Can you tell us what kind of wheelchair you you normally use and what you would show up at the airport? And I don't know if it matters, but I I, I feel it like it might. Oh, I, I just <laughs> yeah, I I I just have a, a manual uh, wheelchair. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a drive, and it it uh, you know it, that's yeah. all. Okay. Nothing fancy. Yeah, Claire. Yeah. Um, so under the Air Carrier Access Act, they um, have the responsibility of um, loading your wheelchair for you and maintaining it. I was just on a call today where we were talking about this. Um, they um, are, if they take it apart in any way, fold it up, those kinds of things that they're, it's their responsibility not to um, harm it in any way, which is unfortunately a story or a uh, situation we hear more more often than not which is frustrating um but yeah they're supposed to check it for you um they check your wheelchair um they're supposed to be checked kind of at the end so that they're not you know put underneath all that kind of luggage and things like that and then when you uh de-board the plane they're supposed to bring it up to the jetway right away for you um it's not something that you technically have to notify them in advance. You can get to the, the ticket gate and let them know right then and there. However, in my advocacy work, we've been told time and time again that if you let them know that stuff ahead of time, it makes them happy. And theoretically, it's supposed to make a difference. My cynical self doesn't know if that's true. But all that to say, we <laughs> airlines, the airlines have begged us to, to advocate, tell you know advocates in the disability community to alert them to those kinds of accommodations ahead of time, so they have ahead of you know they have the the know how. So when you you purchase your ticket, there's always a a, a place where you can alert them to those kinds of accommodations, um, so they know. But you um you you check your 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 mobility device whether whether it be a manual or a power um, it's their responsibility to maintain it um, again we've heard many stories about there being problems with that so the CRO again is a perfect advocate to go to if you're having any issues um, and please if you have any issues report those to DOT because that's something they really want to be aware of so Claire, before we go to another person, I'd like to ask you, because we didn't, it didn't come up in our conversation and I'm not, I've never used it, but I know that you can request assistance through TSA, through the security checkpoint um, as a, a person with a disability. Could you just talk about that process or if you know what I'm, <laughs> if what I'm talking about is correct um, and just kind of share what that covers. Yep. Um, so you are allowed, I, I'm assuming you mean uh, requesting assistance beforehand, Ron? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, they have something. I'm going to butcher the language, but it's called something like a peer support specialist. I think it's a PSS. So you're allowed to support specialist. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, So you're allowed to contact TSA ahead of time because um, even though, like like many accommodations, we do not need to ask for help in advance. You have the legal right to show up, and they have to accommodate you because of the intricacies of some disabilities and those kinds of things. Anybody is allowed to contact ahead of time and explain their situation and ask for somebody who's a PSS. And those persons are supposed to have gone through additional training above and beyond what general TSA agents go through. Mm -hmm. And they're supposed to help assist. So for instance, if you're a wheelchair user, a power chair user, and going through security is a little bit more demanding for various reasons, they're trained to help you kind of maneuver through the process. I don't know what the timeline is, admittedly. Um, I would, if it's, you know, 24 hours in advance is sufficient, or you need to do it more 70, than that. It used to be 72 hours, Claire. Thanks, we used Janine. to train so, the, the PSS people when I worked at GDF. <laughs> see, Janine's got this. Yep. Yeah. So, just, awesome. yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then again, I feel like I always go to the negative. But if you have any issues <laughs> with TSA, um, you can go, they call it TSA cares is where you can um, Mm -hmm. report any problems. Um, And we've been told that you need to uh, report any issues with uh, TSA within 30 days. And that is because they videotape everything. And after 30 days, the videotape gets uh, deleted. So make sure yeah, recycle. Thank you. So yeah, make sure you report any issues. So, and just to let everybody know, one of the things we do after these calls is we prepare a, uh, a quick note when the podcast drops, we put the link out and we share resources from these calls. And I guarantee you, we will have some resource links uh, that come out along with that uh, podcast link. Uh, we post those to uh, the ACB lists, uh, to the ACB uh, Facebook community page. And if you're on the uh, Accessible Avenue mailing list, you'll get it as well. So uh, we will make sure to put some of these helpful resources out there so you can do some research on your own and check those things out. Next uh, next commenter, uh, Travis. Nora. Hello. Hi, Nora. Hi, Nora. Hi. Hi, Claire and and Janine. Uh, My question is, not just comments, but my question is basically, about if you're either with a dog or without a canine dog and you want to uh, go, you know, and around in the airport, but then sometimes you see people shining things on a kiosk and how do you go about that? You have to ask somebody to help you shine the kiosk for you because you can't see the, the printout on the, uh, the, yeah, the readout. So mm-hmm. what can you do about the kiosk situation? Ah, kiosks. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you referring to the kiosks where you sign in and get might. your ticket? I don't know. Some people might. Yeah. You're, if you're talking about the check-in kiosks check-in, versus, yeah. yeah. Is that versus what you're talking about, Nora? Many check-in. other kiosks we see these days. <laughs> yeah. I make that distinction because I know they're going through a process right now of working on regulations specifically for check-in kiosks with airlines. So that is something that is being addressed right now by the federal government to talk about how and when 
accessible kiosks will be mandatory. Um, so that is a work in progress, which is exciting to know that they are um, working on that. Um, so that's why I just want to make that distinction because there are kiosks everywhere now. So mm-hmm. yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a good use for Ira, but I will tell you, I was at a building with a kiosk um, about uh, three weeks ago. And it was a flat screen kiosk. So oh. the uh, IRA agent wasn't able oh. to help me with it. Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, it, you know, it depends on the kiosk. But um, IRA can be a very good solution, especially if there's buttons. <laughs> yeah, if there are buttons, so. it's great. Some of the flat screens are really hard for the agents yeah. to see through the yeah. phone camera because they're bright. Yeah. And they're just really hard to see. Yeah. And they can't direct you very easily because just every time you're trying to touch the uh, the kiosk to find a button you've touched something else first yes. and then things happen and it's yeah it's terrible but and anyway usually though the airlines have kind of somebody circulating around those yes. kiosks just yeah. to watch people and see if you need any help especially yeah. with the one to check your luggage if you're checking mm-hmm. a bag um, they really like to patrol around that one <laughs> yes they do so as as a quick aside the access board which is one of the independent federal agencies that work on access for people with disabilities, they are literally in the process right now of an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking on making, uh, mm-hmm. they call them self-service transaction machines, which is just a long word for kiosks. They're looking about what, how we could make those accessible. And one of the questions was, what all should that include? And so mm-hmm. I'm literally writing comments that are due on Monday. So if anybody has ideas of any kiosk under the sun, let, for I'm sure Clark uh, Rockfall and Swatha Nandukumar are working on those comments. Let us know because, yeah, we're trying to throw in the whole kitchen sink. So. Oh, you just asked for it. Oh, boy. I was <laughs> just going to say, oh, boy. Clark's email is. <laughs> so we have a return person in Clubhouse. Okay, let's see if we have any first time guests over on the uh, Zoom side and then we'll come back. We do have a couple of first timers here. Okay. First would be Ray, Ray Campbell. Hello, hello. Um, great presentation. Of course, as many of you know, I do work for yeah. one of the one of the major airlines. Uh, so you're doing good. Uh, first of all, on the kiosks, um, the Air Carrier Access Act does require that a percentage of those have to be accessible. And I'm not sure what the final deadline on that is, but um, I know that um, we, we at United have been implementing them. So uh, they then that means that they have to be have clearance around them and they have to have uh, a way for you to plug in a, a headset and um, uh, use them uh, with uh, audio. Uh, so, so that's something that uh, if you want to use the kiosk uh, that you need to do. Um, definitely um, just want to say that um, uh, I think that um, what's really uh, I just, I think an overall comment that I would ask people to take away from this tonight is you really need to be your own um, self-advocate and uh, make sure that as you're going about your, I know it's a pain in the butt, but as you're going about your uh, experience of traveling, that you make sure you tell them what you need and mm-hmm. how, how they need to help you and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Don't let them, don't let them, you know, basically take over the situation and like, for example, put you in a special services room or something like that. So, um, but no, just definitely always, you know, kind of be your own self-advocate, know what your needs are. And by the way, as a non-guide dog user, I 
I did everything I could with United so we wouldn't use these these darn forms, but unfortunately <laughs> they decided to do it. So anyway, Claire and Janine, good to talk to both of you again. And uh thanks for hearing and Ron too, and thanks for hearing me out. <laughs> thanks. thanks. And we'll uh, <laughs> and we'll get Ray uh we'll sick Ray on the good folks at O'Hare and Midway oh, with you for, stole for that. Was we're, we're, we're trying. We're real I, I've been trying to get United to use uh, whatever cloud we have, at least to get the United terminals, uh, Ira enabled. But um, you uh, can actually do that. But Janine, you haven't greased the right Chicago politician. Is apparently not. You need to Um, grease the. This is how it works in Chicago. You grease the right people, (laughs) and you get. I have been told that by a Toledo resident, right? Uh, (laughs) And they should know. Um, Okay. I think we had one more person in Zoom that was uh, has not asked a question yet. Yes, Margie Donovan. All right, Margie. Hello, all. Great presentation. Um, just wanted to make the announcement that Sacramento International Airport will have Ira before Christmas. Yay! Yay. Awesome. And that was one of those um, quote-unquote sole-source inter- airports that they first told us they couldn't do it. Well, I worked for the government and I told them there was a form that they can complete to go off contract and to justify it. And they found it and so it's gonna happen. So so to that point, um, I, I will tell you that the um, through a series of, um, of, of accidental coincidences, the, the uh, number two person at FAA is somebody that, that, that I know from the industry. They, they, they appointed him out of another organization. And it seems to me that we ought to be able to provide guidance uh, to, the, uh, to the FAA uh, on how to, uh, to basically educate all of the airports, airports at once. Um, so maybe Janine, we can take that offline because it seems that to me be, that, that let's educate great. them one time and Margie, you may have some information that can help with that. And, and let's just send them yeah. a quick note and say, here's how they can do it. Absolutely. Um, and we yeah. have mm-hmm. insiders mm-hmm. at the, um, American Association of Aviation Executives. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, let's, let's all work together and get this going. Yeah. Just save us all a lot Sounds of time. Great. Yeah. You know it. how to reach me. You know all right. We do indeed. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. All right. Um, unless there's anybody else who's a first timer, we can start to take uh, second questions and comments from folks and we can start out in Clubhouse. All right. So no first timers in Zoom there, Travis? Nope. No hands at all right now. All no, right. Let's... Then Sue Ellen. Okay. I found it. Okay. Um, my question is, can someone because this actually happened to me um, at about, I was at, a, at Providence Airport at about five in the morning, and they tried to tell me I had to check my luggage on the kiosk, that I couldn't check it at the counter when I was checking it. Had to use the kiosk. The kiosk was not accessible. And she, the woman I was dealing with, just wasn't wanting to hear that. She was just not not even listening. Hmm. That. That sounds wow! I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, that, wow. that does not that does not sound um, permissible to me. As an accommodation, they should have to uh, check you at the counter. So that is definitely something I would. Uh, again, you can call for the the CRO in those kinds of situations and file a complaint yeah. after. 
but yeah, no, fortunately, that, that, another airport employee came up and she Aww. said she would take care of it. Care I of think it. they were thinking because I came in with my mom that uh, um, they didn't want to hear about accessibility. But uh, my mom wasn't traveling me with me. With <laughs> yeah, I think That's sometimes people have a belief. Yeah, yeah, the person. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, any other hands raised or requests to speak? And Zoom, you are clear, and you got about ten minutes left, roughly. Okay. All right. Well, I I want to just um, kind of maybe take a couple questions that I've been kind of holding, and we can see if anybody else comes back. But in the meantime, um, let, let's let's talk about um, from your perspective, and just a couple things. So, just to set the tone. The people who provide assistance in airports, I think it's universally true or mostly true that these are these are not airline employees. They are not um, employees of the airport or of the airlines. They are a private contractor mm -hmm. contracted by each airline individually. Um, mm -hmm. So here in Phoenix, for example, uh, American Airlines and Southwest Airlines share a terminal. The people who assist you on a Southwest flight would not be the same people or the same company necessarily to assist you on an American flight. Um, mm -hmm. So given that context, you know, one of the things that we all hear is these people make no money, they get no training, and they work for tips. Janine, could you just kind of comment on that? And, and just from your perspective, and, and as a frequent traveler, you know, what, what do you think, and Claire, feel free to chime in, um, you know, what do you think is a reasonable, you know, from an etiquette standpoint uh, for us? I mean, I think that there is an expectation of tips. Mm -hmm. um, what's your experience and, and what do you think is reasonable at this point? It's so odd. You really have to do some, some cultural gymnastics because <laughs> I have tried to tip people, um, escorts, what, whatever assistance, and they will not accept it because mm -hmm. you're blind. I could not take your money. And mm -hmm. I felt so horrible because I know these people make just you know, minimum wage. Mm -hmm. And yes, it can be very frustrating when they their command of English is not good, et cetera, et cetera. They're afraid of the dog. You know, I've <laughs> had all of it happen. Um, now, Delta Airlines, they have their own actual uh, Delta employees that do the escort service. Right. But m many of them um, are with, I believe, Prospect is one of the companies. Mm -hmm. Here, it's a company called Henley. Um, it can be anything, but I would say just offer the tip. Be prepared to tip. I usually, you know, five. I mean, mm -hmm. because these people are doing what can be a really thankless job in a really a place where people are just really on uh, on the edge of, you know, doing yeah. something crazy. And so, you know, be nice to them. But I, I get it if it's difficult. You know, I get it. But try to remember that, you know, they are there 24-7, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but be nice. Just be nice. Yeah. Be nice. See, and tip. Yeah. tip. To offer a slightly different perspective, and I completely echo everything Janine just said, because they do make very little money. And I've heard the turnover is ridiculous because of that. I personally really struggle with obligation is too strong of a word, but kind of the expectation that you are supposed mm -hmm. to tip because I'm like, this is my civil right to get an accommodation mm -hmm. under the Air Carrier Access Act. So it makes me a little 
frustrated that I'm accepted mm. to tip when, you know, this is just an accommodation. So I personally do not always use a tip unless somebody is just, you know, a rock star. Um, so, you know, again, different opinions, ponder, think about it, you know, um, but it's, it, it's a hard one. It's a, it's a difficult mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the one thing I would say is have your mind made up before you mm-hmm. go to the airport and have yourself prepared um, to, to do whatever you decide to do. Um, and that will make it less difficult in the moment. Um, it's, an, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, and I actually did not know that Delta um, hires their own uh, assistants. That's news to me. And I don't fly Delta a lot because of where I live. Um, um, and by the way, Delta has one of the more difficult processes for getting your service animal on a yes. flight. You um, actually have to call them. Yes, which is really a drag. Yes, um, is, that is not fun. <laughs> no, so so they they might not be high on my list, but um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of pieces to travel. Um, a couple of things we haven't talked about that I will throw out as tips. Um, if anybody else has any, um, you do have come, one hand, by the way. Okay, I'm gonna go quick, and then we'll take that okay. last hand. Um, just two things. One is if you are a frequent traveler. You should, and um, I am. I was going to before COVID, and then COVID closed everything down, and then I didn't get back around to it. Um, consider getting pre-check, uh, TSA pre-check. Mm-hmm. Yes. You go through a background check. You pay about 100 bucks. I think it's 85 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you are um, a priority check, a priority TSA check. You can go through a pre-check line, and they're not in every airport, and they're not always available. Um, but they are usually available in, in major airports. You don't have to take your shoes off. You don't have to t- empty your, <laughs> your bag. Um, it's a much, much easier process. Um, so that is something to think about um, to make your experience a little bit easier. Um, and the other thing that we didn't really talk too much about is just with regard, if you are traveling with a guide dog, um, you are not required to take the dog's equipment off and you are not required to be separated mm-hmm. from your dog. Yep. If you, I would encourage you strongly to develop a system that you use 100% of the time, Um, get comfortable with it. If you need guidance, get your school to give you some training with it and, and insist on following your process. It'll be better for you, better for your dog. And ultimately it'll be better for the people that are helping you in quotes uh, at the TSA security checkpoint. So we did have one other and Jeannie, if you want to comment on that, feel free after. But I want to get to our last sure. uh, last uh, caller because we're getting long uh, time. <clears throat> two, but one to repeat. So we'll take Dexter next. Okay. Uh, rather than pre-check, I would actually suggest uh, global entry. It's a few dollars extra. But uh, if you're doing international travel or that, it makes it much easier as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the other thing is, one thing that works really good is use a uh, fanny pack to put you know a lot of your you know stuff that you need access to in, and just put it around your waist. And then, yeah, you do have to take that off as you go through the TSA, but then it keeps everything together, and uh, you don't have to hassle with stuff. It makes it very easy. Because most of my travel is international. Yeah, those are good suggestions. Yep. Yeah, excellent. 
Um, Janine, did you want to add anything in reference to um, guide dog uh, rights of going through security with guide dogs and just process? Yeah, definitely. Um, if they ask you to remove your equipment, no, absolutely not. Um, they will need to scan the dog. They will need to scan your hands, depending. They do it on a random basis. Um, practice your obedience. That's one tip. You know, I know we all kind of roll our eyes and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but if we you don't. have to drop that leash, <laughs> if you have to drop that leash and your dog goes bounding through security, that's not going to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and chances are, you know, uh, one of my dogs, actually, she loved the TSA people. It was Molly, my Labradoodle. And she actually rolled on the ground, you know, showed them the belly and everything. Oh, pet <laughs> me. I love men in uniform. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, it was so pathetic. It, but <laughs> absolutely, you know, be prepared. You can practice at home. If you have a hallway, you can put two mm -hmm. chairs together. We did that at GDF. Uh, practiced in the hall going through TSA. And, yeah. you know, just practice before you go. And the other thing, if you're going into town and your dog is a grass-only reliever, start like a month or so ahead of time getting them used to some other surfaces because grass is a hard thing to find and the pet grass is okay for some dogs a lot of dogs cannot stand it and will not go on it mostly because it's sopping wet and disgusting but you know, <laughs> um, that's another another tip for you if you're going to be uh, needing to relieve your dog away from yeah. you know familiar surroundings yeah all right, so um, we have one more person, and I think we've, we, um, we can take one fast comment, and then we're going to wrap up. All right, Ray, make it fast. I will uh, make it, me make it fast? Yes, I will. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. Real, real quick, um, one thing, if, if you are traveling in a situation where you're connecting through maybe a smaller airport, you may have to... Um, where you wouldn't ordinarily have to check your bag, you may have to gate check it. Uh, if you have to do that, make sure uh, Dexter, I thought had a good suggestion, uh, the fanny pack or some way to get your medications and anything you might need out of that bag. Because, and when the way gate check works, you put it at the end of the jet bridge and get on the small plane that you're getting on. And when you get off at your other end, they bring it up to you. So uh, make sure that you, uh, you have a way to, Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I would never put medications and stuff in your check bags if you could any kind of check bag that could be checked if you can help it. And the Agreed. free check, best investment I ever made. Agreed. Well, this is I, I want to just uh thank uh Janine and Claire for your time, your expertise, your stories, your advice. Um, it's been uh interesting, informative, entertaining. Thank you to everybody for your comments and your questions. Uh, thank you uh, to Herbie for keeping us on the stream and, and taking care of Clubhouse. Travis, thank you for hosting. And everybody else, thanks for coming and joining us. Uh, we have not yet finalized an itinerary for our call in December, uh, which um, will be on December 20th, I believe, if my math is correct. Um, so uh, stay tuned for the details for that. But in the meantime, uh, we look... Uh, wish you all the best. Again, we will send out post-show notes uh, in a few days, so watch for those. And if you want to get on our mailing list, uh, send an email to connect at accessibleavenue.net. I'm Ron Brooks. Thank you for joining us, and we are concluded.